Hello, and welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. In this episode, I will be talking to Nat Forgotson, Vice President, Program Manager at Science Systems and Applications, Inc., SSAI, about effective public communication skills for engineers and how he used wrestling to train students on public speaking skills. Really interesting story. I'm your host for today's episode, Anthony Fasano, licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers become better managers and leaders. Now, before we get started, I just want to mention that this is a free show and our sponsors help us to keep it free. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, SSAI. Are you an engineer looking for an exciting career in the aerospace industry? Do you want to help design and build the next generation of satellites to monitor the health of the Earth, explore our neighbors in the solar system, and study the composition of the universe? Then you'll want to check out SSAI. From hardware to software testing, calibration, validation, mission operations, and more, you can join SSAI's team of engineers working on exciting projects such as the Dragonfly mission to Saturn's moon Titan the capture, containment, and return system for the next Mars sample return mission, and the Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope, which will unravel the secrets of dark energy and dark matter in our universe. SSAIers help design, build, test, and launch the iconic James Webb Space Telescope, the most powerful telescope ever launched into space, and one that will be able to see the formation of the first galaxies and give us detailed information on potentially habitable exoplanets. Others contributed to the recently launched GOES-18 satellite, the latest in a series of weather satellites designed for better detection and monitoring of storms, hurricanes, lightning, smoke, as well as provide improved air quality warnings, safer flight paths, and more accurate monitoring of radiation hazards. If you see yourself working in a fast-paced, rewarding career that directly contributes to projects helping to improve our understanding of the world we live in, Check out www.ssaihq.com today to apply for open positions. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show for today. Nat Forgotson is the Vice President, Program Manager at Science Systems and Applications, Inc., SSAI. Nat, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, let's start off maybe in your own words, telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself, about kind of your nonlinear path to where you got to today. Right now, I manage, as the program manager, the Electrical Systems Engineering Services contract for the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland, which means the team that I support, it's about 500 people, not all full-time, working on satellites that NASA produces. And anything that's electrical and discipline, we're doing. So I oversee all of it from command to data handling to electrical parts selection, power systems, antennas, RF systems, ground systems, we're involved in all of it. We've had a lot of launches recently from NASA. We are involved with the James Webb Space Telescope. We do a lot of earth sensing instruments because that's kind of the bread and butter for Goddard. And we do astrophysics missions. So there's a lot of things coming up as well. I've been on the ESIS contract in one form or another as a manager since 2008. And that transition for me to management was one that really followed what we talked about as the nonlinear path in my career. When I graduated with my master's in electrical engineering from Northeastern University, I didn't really have a specific part of electrical engineering that I wanted to do. So I went out and probably for the next 10 years tried 
different industries. A lot of people come out and they just go into one and stay there. But I got out and I went into semiconductors, switched to aerospace from there. And that was my first work on satellites, or the Earth Observing One satellite for NASA. Then got caught up in the telecom boom and bust of the 2000-2001 period, went to work for a startup that didn't really work out, moved to medical devices where I was working in electrical engineering for technology and electroporation, so cell processing. Took that same technology, went into power systems for defense applications. And throughout all that, I kind of got a feeling for wanting to be more than just a hands-on engineer, that I like the management piece of it. So I got my MBA from the University of Maryland and tried to figure out where I wanted to go as a manager. I looked at all the things I had done and tried a lot of things out. One of the exercises we did in our MBA program was to think about the retirement party, flash forward a certain number of years. What do you want people to be saying about you at your retirement party? And I kind of took that, turned it on its head a little bit because my first kid was on the way. And I wanted to be able to answer the question, what do I want to be able to say when he says, daddy, what's your job? And it was pretty quick for me to decide, although electroporation of cells was pretty cool, I want to say daddy builds spaceships. And here I am still, all these years later, helping build spaceships. And it's been very satisfying along the way. That's a great story, Ian. And what I really like about that, and I think it's an important point to reinforce here, is the importance for trying different things in your engineering career, especially for those of you that are either students or recent graduates. Because, you know, like Nat said, a lot of times you could jump into your first job and kind of settle in there. And then you look up and it's 10 years later and you feel like, oh man, I can't really make any moves now because I'm kind of entrenched in this one discipline. And I know some companies actually have really good rotational programs for recent graduates or new hires where you can get into some different divisions of a company to try different things out. I mean, for me, as a civil engineer, I started doing structural engineering, wasn't crazy about it, got into geotechnical, wasn't crazy about it, and found my way into like site work and land development. And I really liked it. So there's definitely a lot of benefits to trying things out. And more than anything, it's just a mindset of you know not committing yourself to one thing so early on in your career or thinking that you have to. And I think that that's a little bit of a misnomer when it comes to an engineering career. Now, one question I'll ask you on what you talked about there is about the MBA. You had a bachelor's and a master's in engineering, it sounded like, and then you decided to go for that MBA. Take us through that decision-making process because we get that question all the time from engineers, like, should I get an MBA or not? What did that look like for you? When I originally decided I was going to get the MBA was when I was at the medical device startup company. We had all the venture capitalists coming in to do due diligence. And the questions they were asking, for me as an engineer, I was thinking, you're not asking the right things. I think I might be able to do better if I got an MBA. And then when I actually got into the MBA program, a lot of the organizational development courses are the ones that I latched onto, especially some of the things around business networking, which is a big, important part of my job. I even ended up being a guest lecturer for many years for University of Maryland in the organizational networking classes, just coming in once a year and, and sharing some of my experiences. What the MBA really did for me was having been an engineer for all those years, I remember being asked when I interviewed for my first management job on a NASA contract was, are you sure you don't want to still be doing hands-on engineering? I said, I wouldn't have gotten my MBA if I didn't. To a certain extent, it punched my ticket. And it gave me the leverage to say, I really do want to be a manager. And this isn't just something that's a placeholder for me. I want to take everything I've built on and learned over the years and become a really good manager of technology. It's an important conversation to have because what goes into getting a degree like that is obviously a lot of time, a lot of energy, money, depending on the, the price of the program. 
And so I think if you want to do that, you know, you really want to think through that decision and think about the consequences, the benefits, of course. And there are different programs out there. There are MBA programs that have master's in engineering management programs today. So there's definitely some good options out there. But I would just encourage you to, obviously, Nat saw a real need for that in his career going into management and picking up some of the skill sets, which is great. And I've talked to engineers that have gone both ways. They started a program and then realized it wasn't going to help them to where they wanted to go in their career and others that wish they would have done it. So whenever you're making a big career decision like that, I think you just need to think about your goals and where you're headed and how that's going to help you on your journey. Sure. Now, one of the things that you were talking about a little bit, and for the students who are listening, I know from what I'm doing, doing outreach for the different schools that I went to, and even for other schools in the area, a lot of people just don't know the disciplines that are underneath electrical engineering. So it's tough for us to attract new students into things like parts engineering. It's kind of esoteric, and it's hard to find people who've studied anything related to semiconductor development enough that they understand parts and are willing to do something that's not pure design work. Part of my job now is trying to educate students on some of the disciplines that exist under that greater heading of electrical engineering. So I just want to reinforce the point that you made. Go out and try stuff because you don't even know everything that's out there until you actually get out into the field and start doing. And it may be that you latch on to something you really love. Absolutely. And I'm sure that this applies for all disciplines in engineering. But I know in civil engineering, there are constantly crazy new technologies coming out, like roadways can are sooner going to be able to talk to your cars because of sensors they're putting in roadways. And my point with that is that there's even jobs that are going to exist tomorrow in engineering that don't exist today. So there are so many opportunities out there of interesting things and technology is going to continue. Don't get boxed into any one thing and, and try to be flexible, especially early on in your career. All right, Nat. So before we move forward here, we're going to get into public speaking skills in a few minutes, but I'm really interested to know how and why did you get into pro wrestling as a side gig? I was a fan for many, many years. And even when I was getting my electrical engineering master's degree in Boston, I was going to independent wrestling shows. I was going to watch what at the time was WWF, now WWE. I was always a fan. And so my first job out of school, I was working on semiconductors. I was working in a skiff, a top secret facility. I didn't see the sun all day. And I said, this isn't enough for me in my life. I need a little bit of flavor outside of this. And having been a fan for so many years, I found out about a school aptly named Bonebreakers in Maryland, where I signed up to be a professional wrestling manager. So the guy who stands outside the ring, causing trouble, interfering, cheating to help my guys win. So I got to be a bad guy. And I learned a lot about presenting myself by virtue of learning the public speaking skills and learning how to be in front of an audience of thousands of people that maybe not the average engineer has going into their engineering career, where it's been a lot of studying and working in the lab and not as much presentation per se. How far did that go? Did you get to matches and did you do that? I did. I worked uh, as the, under the name Platinum Nat for five years. I managed a number of teams in, in MCW, Maryland Championship Wrestling. And I had a great time with it, traveled all over the state of Maryland, did a little bit of work in the mid-Atlantic area. And that was always on the weekends. I got to go do shows. And then during the day, I'd come back and work on circuits. And sometimes it overlapped. Uh, When some of the local news outlets found out about me doing this, they wanted to bring their cameras into my work and film me working at my day job and then have video of me in the ring getting beaten up. That was a little bit tricky when I went to my bosses for the first time and said, hey, can, can the local Fox affiliate come in and film me at my desk? What? <laughs> no, absolutely not. 
we can't have news outlets coming in to talk about something else that you do. We really don't want them seeing you doing engineering design work. So it was a lot of fun. And I got to do it. I did it for about five years. Took a break for a little while where I worked on my career, raised my kids. But in 2015, I went back to it as a teacher now. I still, every Tuesday night, go up to our local training center and I teach all these young kids how to do public speaking. And that's something that brings a lot to me and fulfills me on the side beyond my career, my day career. Working with people who are 18 to 25, for the most part, from all walks of life, it gives me so much more exposure and diversity to the kinds of people I talk to on a weekly basis and expands my horizons quite a bit. So when you say the school, you still go back to the school. Is this that Bonebreaker School? Well, it's a different school now. It's just the MCW Training Center. Okay, the MCW Training Center. Wow, that's really interesting. Well, first of all, before we transition, I think one point on that that I think is very important, especially in the world we live in today, is having those hobbies, right, in your life. Because we've gotten to the point, especially with COVID over the last few years, where people don't even weren't even leaving their house, let alone having like a real good line between kind of like work and home life, right? That total line was blurred. It was completely gone. And it's very easy to burn out these days because you can, everyone can easily work from home these days because their companies most likely made it easy for them in 2020. So I think more now than ever, having hobbies like that, whether it's being involved with wrestling or being a sports fan or being involved playing sports or any hobbies, you know, maybe you're involved with your church or whatever the case may be. I think having these other aspects to life are so important. And I feel like over the last few years, that's become more important than ever, really. Yeah, the work-life balance is critical. And I know there are weeks where I'm stressed out and I can't wait to get to next Tuesday. I want to go up and teach because I, I can take off that stress that my day job gives me, that you're always, there's a critical path and something has to be delivered and just sweating it day after day and just going and teaching it and working with people who are so eager to learn and sharing my knowledge about something that's really outside my day job. It's a nice balance just to spread my wings and do something else. Sometimes the word or the phrase work-life balance catches a bad rap because people will say, well, really, there's no such thing. One way I think of it is not like, hey, I'm going to work and then I'm just going to relax and do nothing. But if I sign up and get involved in other things, like Nat said, teaching at the school, you're active, you're doing something, but it's not work. It's something else. It's something enjoyable outside of work. And so I think that it's just important to create the balance for yourself by being involved in other areas. And that also leads to networking, like Nat said before, and meeting other people and you know having more relationships in your life. So I think all of that is very beneficial. So let's get into public speaking now. Public speaking is something that not just engineers or technical professionals, a lot of people are, are not good at or afraid of, which is why they don't become good at it or practice it. But what tips can you give our listeners about advancing or developing their public speaking skills based on what you've learned? One of the things that I think about, and it's the first time I really took those public speaking skills back to my engineering work, I was doing a design review for one of the first satellites I worked on, and I really honed in on knowing the audience. That was critical to me. Some of the senior engineers took me under their wing and talked to me a little bit. Knowing your audience is so key. What do they want to know? What do they want to hear? And in this case, what the senior engineers told me was, there's a part of your circuit that they're not going to like. And this was in the days when we didn't have PowerPoint charts. It was transparencies on a flip going through them. And I got to that circuit. And what they told me was critical. This is a circuit that, while it's similar to ones that they may have seen before that have failed on orbit, this one has flight heritage. It works. So I remember standing up there in front of a bunch of people. In this case, it was with the Navy. Lots of suits, lots of people with lots of badges. And here I was a couple of years into my career. 
I just stopped in the middle of my presentation. I'm not even going to turn the next chart until I tell you what you're going to see. You're not going to like, but it has heritage on this mission and on this mission. It's flying just fine. No problem at all. So here's a one-shot circuit. I flipped it and I saw the faces, but I'd already cut off their ability to criticize me because I knew my audience going in. And so that's just an example. For me, it's I always try to emphasize, what are you trying to do when you're doing public speaking? A design review often feels like, oh, I'm just trying to present my design, but it's not. It's selling. You're selling that the design is good, that you're a competent engineer, that people should believe this is going to work because you're confident you've gone through all the analyses. And as I've taught engineers to do public speaking, I've seen many people get up there because, like you said, they're uncomfortable, they're nervous, the body language conveys nervousness, the face does, the posture does. And as soon as people see that, before they've even heard a word about the design that you're working on and presenting, they've already prejudged, and they're pretty sure that you're not confident, so there must be something wrong with your design. So get up there, be confident in it, looking back. What I was told before I ever went in front of an audience with pro wrestling is most of the people in the crowd, if they're kids, they want to be where you are. If they're adults and they're past their prime and can't do it anymore, they wish they had taken the chance that you did. As a design engineer, most of the people in the room have maybe moved on to management and they miss the heady days of get out there and get their hands dirty in the lab. They want to be where you are, touching the hardware, being involved at that close level. So going in with that confidence that you know what you're doing, you know your circuit's going to work, and you want to sell to them, that's it. You can trust me. You can trust this design. So it's do you believe in yourself, and can you convey that physically and verbally? And I really like that idea of understanding the audience and what their needs are as you go into a presentation. I know I always like to tell people to kind of start with the goal in mind, right? Like, what do you want to achieve through that presentation before you start doing slides and trying to put together fancy images and things of that nature? What's your goal? And what do you have to do in that 10, 15, 20 minutes to try to achieve it? And that does make you think ahead, think about the audience, think about how they're going to receive things, which I think is really important. And I think that's good advice. So Nat, let's talk a little bit about actually getting in front of an audience like for the first couple of times, right? There's that fear factor that's involved with standing up in front of people when you're not used to it. You had mentioned you being earlier in your career, which probably makes it even a little bit more daunting just because things are still new to you. What advice can you give people for trying to overcome that initial fear factor of being up in, in front of people, up in front of a room? How did you handle that or become more comfortable with that? I'm teaching that all the time. Some of the students who come into pro wrestling, they've done no public speaking whatsoever. They're maybe gifted athletes, but they're not confident in front of a crowd. So there's a couple of just basic pointers, especially if you're not on camera, but you're in front of people, is watching the body language. It's so easy if you stand in front of people to fall into the trap of having your feet directly side by side, which allows your hips to sway. I've seen so many people go metronome on me. And I tell if you just put one foot in front of the other, you get a little bit of a more solid stance. And right off the bat, you've taken away your ability to look nervous just because of your swaying. The other thing to do is to watch your physicality. So practice speaking in on camera or in front of a mirror. Watch how you're using your face and watch how you're using your hands. Also slow down. Most people feel like if there's any pause, if there's any moment of silence, it's bad. It's nerve wracking. We need to fill that silence, but the silence is good. I always tell people, if you're talking, they're probably going to remember three or four things out of the speech you just gave. So you get to choose what's important. If you don't choose, the audience is going to choose for you. 
So if you've got three or four bullets that you want to make sure hit home, say them a little differently, say them a little louder, a little slower, and give a good pause right after they're done. And then the audience can absorb it and they'll note that was the thing that was important because you decided it and you presented it a little bit differently than whatever else was in your speech. And maybe that's the couple things that they take home with them when they're done listening to you. Yeah, really great advice. I mean, two things there. One, the pace is so important. I know when I started, I did rush because I felt like I wanted to get up there, get it done and kind of get off. And the problem is when you rush is like people just can't understand, like Nat's saying, they can't digest it. It's going too fast and it's not effective. And that second point about the pause, I think is so important. It is just a fear of like that silence when you're in a conversation. But at the end of the day, those gaps is really where people can process things. Maybe think about a good question to ask you, right? Give you a second to breathe and refocus yourself. So those are some great tips. And I'll tell you too, for those of you out there, I joined Toastmasters. I went through Toastmasters. If you're not familiar with Toastmasters, it's a nonprofit international organization that you can join. It's inexpensive. You can get an annual membership. And you basically get a book of 10 speeches, get up in front of a room, it's a very supportive atmosphere, and you give those speeches. And it teaches you to get up in front of people, it teaches you structure of speeches and things of that nature. But really, at the end of the day, Toastmasters theory is the idea of desensitization, right? The more times you do something, the more comfortable you are at it. And I could say from my own experience, that was definitely the case. You know, when I started, it was uncomfortable, I was rushing, I was speeding through everything. And today I've done at this point, hundreds of talks and I can really slow things down and be more comfortable. But I guess my overall point there is that public speaking is something that you can improve on and develop. Whereas I think a lot of people think it's kind of one of those things you're either born with it or you're not. And that's completely false. I agree with you. And there's certain other tricks that I've learned along the way and I've forced it upon my students. Learning to do public speaking well is a matter of getting comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. And that's not my phrase. It's one we use a lot of time at the school. What I often use to get people over that fear is to listen to them. They speak out loud. They do whatever they do. And I say, okay, do the same exact speech. Most of these are about a minute long. Do it again, but do it silently and convey the same story. And this is something that everyone can do. If you've got something that you want to present, go in front of the mirror. You can mouth all the words, but watch your face. Watch your hands as you do the speech, because you don't have to worry about the words at that point if you're just mouthing it. If you get the words wrong and you're in front of the mirror, no one's there to hear, but you're getting to watch yourself the way you present. And it's very effective for me and my students to give them that level of comfort that, yes, I'm using everything at my disposal, all my tools, not just my words, but my physicality as well. Where do you see careers in the civil space going for engineers as this commercial market kind of continues to expand here? Well, it's gotten really tough. And I hear a lot about the great resignation. Some of that we see for sure. Part of the nature of the way we do things in support of NASA is very often the projects that we support, they want the subject matter expert, the person who's the best at power systems, the best person who can do antennas for us. But those people are getting closer and closer to retirement age if they're not out and out retiring. We're now stuck with a little bit of distribution of a lot of young people and a lot of old people or late career, early career. We're trying to figure out how to fill that middle gap between the folks who are just coming in and the folks who are ready to retire. It's so important for me right now to be getting my subject matter experts to hand off their knowledge to the younger folks. I'm also seeing that early career people are getting drawn into commercial space. 
when I first got into working in space, there wasn't really a commercial space industry other than XM satellite, radio, Sirius, things like that. There was naval satellites, NASA satellites, and that was about it. Now we're seeing, and I recently went to the Satellite 2022 conference in Washington, D.C. There's a whole space industry about putting humans in space, manufacturing in space. There's so much that can be done. And so much of what was really confined to the government funding it is now finding venture capital investment. So it's harder for us to hang on to people to support civil space programs. I have speculated, and I don't want to make it sound bad for NASA, but what we're really good at and what we will continue to be good at at NASA and what we do is the large-scale observatories, the things that don't necessarily have an immediate commercial potential, but bring knowledge to humanity. So something like the James Webb Space Telescope is going to give us a lot of knowledge about the history of the universe and how things came together. Now, maybe it can be used for helping target some things closer to Earth that might be places we would want to investigate for resources, but really it's science mission, pure and simple. There's not commercial applications. When I look at what we've done for NASA for things like Landsat, for a mission called Soil Moisture Active Passive SMAP that measures groundwater, the insurance industry is interested in things like that. The farming industry is interested in things like that. That's where now there's commercial applications that commercial companies can go after and may take those types of things that have been purely NASA science-driven away from NASA so that in the future, we're really just concentrating on large-scale observatories that maybe don't have as much of a dollar payoff, but there's a payoff in terms of the knowledge for humanity. It's something to really think about, right? There's all these, now there's these private organizations getting involved in space. And then you have a number of engineers or engineering professionals that now are going to be kind of spread between the different organizations. So it is something that to look for in the future. I mean, I think the bottom line for people listening is that there's a lot of career opportunities for sure on both sides of it there. So that's exciting and that is interesting. And it's interesting to hear about some of the things like you mentioned there from that conference you went to. I'm sure going to something like that and seeing those things has got to be eye-opening in some ways. So that's great. All right. So we covered some great stuff here with Nat. We talked about career flexibility, right? Getting into your career early, trying different things. Don't kind of get confined and think that you have to stay in one position for your entire career. You don't. We talked about really varying up life and having a good work-life balance by getting involved in things outside of work, picking up some hobbies, doing some things, meeting some people. That could be very rewarding for you and very satisfying. We also talked quite a bit about public speaking. Nat gave some great tips on how to speak effectively in public building up your confidence, understanding the audience, right? It's definitely a big one. I'm trying not to rush things, pause. It's okay to pause every now and then and put a little silence in there. Because really public speaking, I've learned, can mean all the difference in one's career. And it's not just because you then have the ability to speak effectively, which is obviously great. But when you speak in public, every time you get up in front of an audience, you build confidence. I always tell people, you can learn all the skills you want to learn, but if you're not a confident professional, you're not going to be able to go out and exhibit those skills in front of people, right? And so that's what's been a huge benefit for my career from public speaking is just building up that confidence. So It's the confidence in yourself, but it's also if you're going to the same audience, if you have the same customers you're going to regularly, you're building up their confidence in you. You represent them in a lot of ways, or you have to do work on their behalf. So the more confident they feel in you and your abilities, you know, not only the more comfortable they're going to be with you and your company, but next time there's a new project, I mean, you should be the first person that they're going to be thinking of, of course, because they want to have someone like you working on their projects and representing 
That's a great point. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and then we're going to wrap this up in our Take Action Today segment with Nat. We'll be right back. All right. We're back with our guests for today on the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, Nat Forgotson, Vice President, Program Manager at SSAI. And the point of this final segment of the show is to pull this together into one action that you can kind of take to help you grow your career as an engineering professional. I want to go back to something that you said, Matt, earlier on in the episode when you were going for your MBA. It took you through an exercise where they said, you know, fast forward to your retirement, right? How do you want to be remembered? And then you also framed it out and you want to be able to tell your kids that, that you do. Just talk about that maybe as we wrap up, because I feel like that's a great way for people to get an anchor in their career of kind of where they want to head. Everybody goes through transitions at some point in their career, whether it's just moving up the chain or making a full-blown career transition. That's what I did, switching from engineering to management and asking myself the question, what do I want to be able to do? That was just the first point, trying to define what I wanted to go to, but then how do I present myself so that I fit into that new role? So for everybody who's listening, it's so important to, to put those three or four things together, those three or four bullet points that anyone's going to remember, because you get to decide what people are going to remember about you when you, they talk to you in an interview, in a networking event. And as soon as you nail down what those elements are in yourself that make you qualified to do that next stage in your career, whether it's moving up into a more senior role, moving into management, whatever transition you're making, you pick those three items, convey them to your audience. And it's going to make things a lot easier to make that kind of transition for you. Awesome advice to kind of take everything we talked about, wrap it up and take action on it. That's what this podcast is all about. Nat, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Engineering Career Coach and for all the advice you share. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. I was glad to participate. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. The things that Nat talked about really are so important in one's engineering career, and I think they do get overlooked. Definitely the idea of learning the different disciplines in engineering before jumping into one. I've talked to way too many engineers that felt like they had to decide on what type of engineer they were going to be in college or undergraduate studies, and that's just not true. I've met people in the civil engineering world that majored in mechanical engineering and ended up switching into civil and really enjoyed their jobs in civil engineering. So. That's just an example, but there are things that can be done to transition, but you need to learn about the different options. Like I said in the episode, you can find a company sometimes that has a rotational program that can help you with that. But as always, we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, or questions. You can go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And just please think about career flexibility, think about improving your speaking skills, and hopefully some of these tips will help you to engineer your own success. We'll see you next time on the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at Engineering Management Institute Org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs, plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, and we'll help you engineer your own success.